It will arise as once before, in ages past when magic soared. Passing o'er the world, shore to shore, the wind, the fury, again shall roar. Welcome to the Swan Song Podcast by Eamon Cottrell and Brian Stallings. The Swan Song Podcast is the episodic audiobook for the fantasy novel John Swan Song and the Parada Isle. Episode 13. Sarah Starbrand peeled the potato and chopped it into quartered chunks before tossing them in the bucket in front of her. She looked at her hands with dismay. Two months ago, they'd been soft as silk and without a blemish. Now she saw scrapes all over them, and her palms were becoming calloused and rough. What I wouldn't give to be back at the manor. Oh, if Adelaide saw these hands, she'd give Pa a piece of her mind. He might even give her the time of day, too. Sarah grabbed another potato and tried to push those thoughts out of her head. She wasn't at home. She wasn't even close to home. And her father had proved that he was not going to listen to her ever since he'd forced her onto this east-cursed ship. Down here with Minnet was the only place she'd found any peace and seclusion. She'd thought at first that she might become friends with John and Rat, or at least John, but now that he was recovered, Phineas was training him more often than not, and when he wasn't out on the deck talking to the clouds, he and Rat were scheming together. Boys. Sarah tried to think about something else, but all her thoughts were negative. She was trapped. Trapped on the ship. Trapped on the jasmine. She knew the name was meant to honor her mother, but she couldn't help hating it. All it had ever done was drag him off to sea, to the fading taunts of the other houses, as they watched his sails disappear from the comfort of their castles. She was angry. Not that that was a surprise. She'd been angry for most of the voyage so far. But up until now, her fury had simply been toward her father for prying her from the comfort of their home. Now, after the insane events on Labri and their current course toward the Far East, she was actually quite afraid. And it was far easier to turn that fear into anger than address it. That would mean talking to someone, and the only talking she was interested in doing was talking her father into turning his blasted ship around. Though she was adamant about returning home, she couldn't help but feel intrigue prickle her thoughts as well. Turns out all the salt tales Thomas and others had told her weren't tales at all. She'd seen as much in a week as she'd heard about in a childhood of stories. Fire and wind and sparrows and whirlpools and whales and paradas. The name itself sent a giddy shudder through her. Paradas. She tossed another chunk into the bucket, now caught up in her own daydreaming. Will Parada Isle really have geysers of fire and wind tunnels carved through the mountains? The parts of her that were not scared to death, if she were honest with herself, were excited. Yes, excited. About what else she might see while they were in the east. I wonder if the maids of the sea can really speak to the fish. Will we go further east after Parada Isle? Devil's Pass? The Endings? Will they dare it? Do those places even exist? 
But no sooner had she let her mind wander into those fantasies than she stopped paying attention to the blade in her hand. She grabbed another potato absent-mindedly and peeled off the skin. Ouch! she yelled, startled. You okay, dear? Minnet asked. She nodded at him and put her fingers to her mouth to suck the small cut. Stupid, 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 and stupid daydreams to blame for it. She slipped back into her gray sulkiness and put the knife down. She was just thinking that perhaps an afternoon nap would be nice. She'd taken one most every day, even though they usually ended with her lunch coming back up. And with that thought of her constant seasickness, she resumed her full-fledged angry state of mind. She heard shouting from above, something about docking, but that couldn't be right. Not yet. Surely they were days away from Parada Isle if Phineas could be trusted. All the same, they were definitely shouting about docking. She couldn't put her finger on it, but ever since John had woken up and Rat had started talking to him about everything that had happened, She'd gotten more and more irritated. She was also mad at Phineas for dragging all of them into this ordeal. She had had a feeling that he was going to be trouble ever since he found Abram in Port de Twin and started sailing with them. And, of course, there was Rat, who was always a little intolerable. She liked the attention he gave her, but he was always doing something to get under her skin. The fact that he and John were inseparable made her think that perhaps she was just jealous of the attention. She was just about to reflect on the dismal weather conditions, now that they were truly out in the sea, far further east than she had ever been with her father, and how bleak weather probably was influencing her mood more than normal, when she heard shouting from the deck above. Something about land and whirlpools. Two items that she was convinced did not go together. There was more shouting and the sound of deckhands running. Minnet dropped what he was doing and made his way to the stairs. He turned his bulky frame toward her and raised his brow as if to say, Well, you coming? Sarah scowled at him, but as soon as he turned back to the stairs and started to climb, she followed suit, powerless to her curiosity. She couldn't help but admit to herself at least how curious she really was about Parada Isle. Despite the dangers and inconveniences of the trip thus far, she was excited to see the mysterious place. She was still scowling as she emerged on the darkened deck to a curious scene, but it turned into an unattractive, smirk-like expression as she started dodging the crew as they darted this way and that. Everyone, it appeared, was trying to make their way to the bow. Some of the sailors had climbed up the masts for a better view, but most were merely crowded around the railings, peering out ahead. Sarah couldn't imagine what had their attention. It clearly wasn't Parada Isle. They couldn't block a whole island from her view. She made her way forward and carved a path between the sailors. It was still as dark as dusk on the Escondo, and Sarah wondered for a moment if her eyes were playing tricks on her in the dim light of the far eastern seas. She had beheld her first whirlpool and her first spera during the course of the last week, but even so, she was not prepared for the scene in front of her. There were two tusks of rocky land jutting up from the depths. 
Each of these masses rose no higher than the deck of the ship and was large enough for only one or two men to stand on, should any choose to do so. Sarah thought they were the most peculiar things. They were not far apart, and the jasmine was inching forward to go in between them. But it was clear, even now, thirty yards away, that the ship would not fit through the pillars of earth. Rather, Abram was docking his ship in this strange makeshift slip in the middle of the ocean. She looked back to see Abram and Phineas. Abram had the wheel, and Phineas was standing over his shoulder and speaking to him. She frowned again, wondering if her paranoia would ever get better. She doubted it. Phineas was just creepy, and their situation continued to either get worse or stranger every day. Then she saw Phineas step aside for a moment and reach behind. John came into view. Phineas had his hand on his shoulder and was speaking now to both Abram and John. Sarah couldn't understand why John was suddenly at the center of everything, it seemed. She had little time to wonder this any further, though, for just then the ship slid up between the pieces of land. Two men jumped down, one on either piece of land, and were thrown rope. Sarah watched with a growing feeling of amusement as they began tying the rope to two pieces of metal that jutted from the sides of the pillars. It really was a dock in the middle of the ocean. But why? The men jumped back on board, and the ropes were fastened to the sides of the deck and tightened. Clear the sides! Abram yelled from behind her. His crew spread out on the deck, moving away from the sides while maintaining their view of the two pillars. It became clear, as Sarah scanned their faces, that they were just as clueless as she. Phineas walked down from the wheel and passed by her without looking down. He kept walking as the crew spread out before him, opening a path for him to the bow. In the dark, wavering light, Phineas looked almost sinister under his cloak. No rays of light made their way through the gray clouds overhead, and the rolling waves were black as they swelled underneath. Sarah shivered and watched Phineas. He reached the bow at the very tip of the jasmine where the carved wooden eagle perched. Wings stretched wide toward the sea. Phineas held out his arms as well, and in a loud voice called out. Sarah did not understand anything of what he said, if in fact he even spoke words. It almost seemed like a song at times. He was chanting in another language, one that at once made her feel frightened to her core, as well as deeply alive. He called out in this song chant for what seemed like several minutes, and then lowered his arms to the siding. He stretched out his staff and cried out again, but Sarah understood his words perfectly that time. Now, John! Before she could turn and glare at John, she felt the wood beneath her shiver. It was a strange sensation, and without thinking she huddled down, bringing her arms around her knees. She was comforted to see that she was not the only one to have that instant response. Perry had bundled his knees to his chest, and Brick and Brack had gotten all the way down on their hands and knees. The ship continued to reverberate, 
and Abram begins shouting orders for his men to man their stations and to remain calm. She thought she sensed a bit of extra strain in his voice, but she couldn't be sure. The crew darted to their positions as she slowly, cautiously regained her footing. She began to step toward the bow to get a better view of the pillars of earth they were now docked to as the crew scattered like ants on the deck. It began to sprinkle again as she approached the bow, and she noticed that the vibration was increasing in intensity the closer she got to the eagle's outstretched wings. Inch by inch, more of the ocean in front of the ship came into view as she made the last few steps up to the bow, and her heart jumped into her throat as she looked out. The ocean was beginning to churn right in front of the jasmine, and just in front of the pillars, she saw the surface of the waters begin to rotate and sink into the depths. <laughs> 